Thank you, Peter, for leading us in our worship thus far, and let us continue our worship by opening the Scriptures, and we're going to continue in our series in Second Timothy. After introducing and launching it last week, what we'll do is pick up at Second Timothy chapter 1, and we'll commence reading at verse 6 and go through to verse 11. Not that we will exposit or extrapolate everything that's in those verses this morning. So Second Timothy chapter 1, and commence reading at verse 6. For this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Verse 8. Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, or me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Saviour Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. May God add his blessing to his precious word this morning. To live unashamed of Jesus Christ is the title that I have chosen for our reading this morning. And I think it aptly fits what this whole section is about, actually right through to the end of the chapter, of which we will not get to. But by way of introduction, I just thought I'd mention how I love, and no doubt some of you also love, to read of the testimonies of courageous men and women down through history, men and women of God. When we read of those people, one cannot help but be stirred and and, uh, to be inspired to live faithfully or more faithfully for the Lord. That's the effect it has on me anyway. And one such man who has become... One of my many heroes, can I say, was a man named John Huss, whom many of you would have heard of. He died a martyr in 1415. He began his ministry as a Roman Catholic priest and who then became a controversial pastor-preacher of the biblical gospel in the city of Prague, which is now the modern country of the Czech Republic. This was in the early 1400s. Now this change in John Huss came about when he discovered and submitted to the biblical gospel and at the same time was also deeply influenced by the Reformed theology and the the writings and the translation work of of John Wycliffe, another well-known Christian hero. Actually, John Huss is also called another name. He's called the Morning Star of the Reformation. 
Because the Reformation, as we know it, of the 1500s, it kind of started with John Huss. Because he came about a hundred years before Luther and Calvin and Zwingli and others. But anyway, John Huss was arrested for his biblical preaching, which was contrary to the Roman church of the time that preached salvation by works and had a leadership system that was headed up by the Pope, which still is, by the way. But John Huss, for doing that and preaching the gospel, was condemned to be burnt at the stake by the church, which really shows how corrupt the church was back in 1415. And when he was tied to the stake to be burnt to the ashes, he prayed this prayer from Psalms 25 and verse 2. He cried out and said, In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. Never let me be ashamed. And he went to death unashamed of his identification with Jesus Christ. What a man, what a hero of the Christian faith. We cannot help but say that. But the question that we need to ask ourselves is, how do you do that? How, how can you live like that? How do you live a life unashamed of Jesus Christ? We all need to know this because at some time or other, every one of us have been ashamed of the Lord and his gospel, right? We all, no doubt, like Peter, who denied the Lord three times, can fail to stand firm and, and shamefully deny him and the truth of the gospel. We can do that. So how do we live a life unashamed of Jesus Christ? And in this section, right through to the end of the chapter, we have Paul giving Timothy answers to that question because this is what this section is all about. But before we go there, I need to recap a little bit we saw last week in our introduction to the second letter to Timothy that Paul was an old man at this time and he was suffering in a Roman dungeon awaiting his execution. This wasn't his first imprisonment, this was his second imprisonment. And we also saw how Paul looked past his own circumstances even though they were terrible and pitiful, and encouraged and he motivated Timothy in this five-verse introduction. Timothy needed this, you see. The pastor at Ephesus, he needed this encouragement. As did the whole church, actually, because things were not going very well at Ephesus. Five or six years had passed since he had written the first epistle, and things had not improved. It seems that Timothy had a tendency to retreat from the front lines, can we say, of, of serving Jesus Christ. And he probably did that for a number of reasons, but just let me give you a couple. We know from 1 Timothy 5.23 that he was a rather shy and a timid man. And he did not suffer the best of health. So no doubt that would have got on top of him. 
And it also seems that his relative youthfulness, because he was around about 30 years old, and in relation to Timothy and no doubt to many others in the assembly at at Ephesus, he was a young man, and this made him the target of some of the oldies in the church. Terrible as that is. And that would have unnerved his leadership somewhat, no doubt. Read that about First Timothy 4.12. So all in all, it seems that Timothy's fervor and devotion had cooled considerably in the ministry. And added to this personal pressure that he suffered, we all know, as we've been looking at back in First Timothy, bad theology had crept in to the assembly at Ephesus. And also on top of that, there was increasing persecution against the believers. So things were not good. So what instruction does Paul give to Timothy and to every one of us here today on this very subject? For us this morning, I return to the question that I've already asked. How do you live a life unashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ? How do we live, even when it's difficult, and not be ashamed of the gospel or of those who preach the gospel? How do we live like that? Well, let's look one by one over the next couple of Sundays at the answers that Paul gives in this very section from verses 6 to 18 for our mutual encouragement. The first one is, fan the embers of your gift into flame. We see this in verse 6. And this answer lies closely and is related to what Paul has already said in prior verses, where he speaks of this faith of his grandmother, his faith of his mom, and Paul was convinced that this sincere faith was in Timothy also. And so Paul says, for this reason, for this reason, owing to the sincere faith that you have, you must kindle afresh, or in other words, keep in full flame your spiritual gift by actively using it in service for the Lord. That's what he says says to Timothy. This is a plain message for Timothy, and might I say for every believer, including us here this morning. You see, when we come to the Lord in faith, sincere faith like Timothy had, God gives every believer a divine gift. So we are gifted in some way or other to serve Him. We have that in 1 Corinthians 12, if you want to know what some of those gifts are. Peter, the apostle, also says in 1 Peter 4, verse 10 to 11, As each one received the gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks, do so as one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves, do so as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. This singular gift may be in many forms, a little bit like the singular fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 is seen and described in many forms. So this gift in every believer, though varied in type and action, has one united cause. That is to glorify God as the saints are edified. 
This means our God-given gifts need to be exercised in order to faithfully serve him, right? In other words, we like Timothy have been given the divine wherewithal to serve the Lord in exactly the way God wants us to serve him. That's pretty powerful. Because we need to ask a question, am I exercising the gift that God has given me? We could spend a whole sermon on that, but are we going to stick to our text this morning? Because as we think about our gifts, we must realize that there is something else going on also. You see, as God has given us the use of his gift, there's someone attacking it. Satan is always on the hunt to snuff out and extinguish the gift that God has given us. Did you know that? Oh, yes, he is. And adding to that, because we and ourselves and our unredeemed flesh, as it were, we tend to be slothful and lazy and we tend to pamper our selfish egos, that gift that God has given us for the edification of the saints, our usefulness to the Lord soon becomes smothered. That's how it goes down. How sad is that? Folks, we need to understand that our divine gift for service is inseparable. Did you hear that? Our divine gift for service is inseparable from the divine calling and salvation. The two go hand in hand, they're together. In other words, although Timothy's gift was unique and that he had the apostles' hands laid upon him for his personal affirmation from the apostle to Timothy, and we know that Timothy's gift was preaching and evangelism as we go later on into this epistle to Timothy 4 and verse 5, the apostle Paul says to Timothy, do the work of an evangelist in order to fulfill your ministry. So Timothy was a pastor, preacher, and also an evangelist. He was gifted to do that. We too have been gifted by God to serve him uniquely. And if our whole purpose for living, this may sound too grand and, and too far out, but this is the truth of the matter. If our whole purpose for living is not bound up in serving the Lord by using our God-given gift, you know what? Our mission on earth is worthless and a waste of time. It's wood, hay and stubble stuff. It's going to be sorted out in eternity. As I prayed this morning, you parents... You've been given children, what for? Just so you can take photos and put them up on Facebook? No, 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 no. Even though I love to see that. God has given you children so that you can bring them up in the way of the Lord. That's your ministry, that's your mystery. You're gifted to do that. That's, that's, that's your responsibility. And God has given you the wherewithal in this time and stage of your life to do that. So you must do that for the glory of God. And for the edification and the encouragement of other saints. That's just one example. Whether you're at work, wherever you are, you're not just to earn money so that you can amass it and buy lots of things. Because all this is only temporary. God has given you the ability to earn money for the glory of God. Some of us were thinking about that in our theology class this morning and discussing it. Paul said to Timothy, kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you. You see that? Which is in you. 
In other words, this was not about Timothy finding a gift. You know, back in the 70s, you had these great big questionnaires and you filled them all out. Oh, and at the end, bingo, you come down to about two or three, this is my gift, yoo I found it. No, no, it's not about finding your gift on some research questionnaire. We've already been given it. It's not about seeking a second blessing so then that we're about to exercise it. No, no. He has already given Timothy this gift so that he might be powerfully effective in the ministry. And every single one of us who are born again, we have all that we need from God to do exactly what he wants us to do in our service for him. And might I say, like no other person can. So if you're not fulfilling your gift, if you're not exercising your gift as God intended and God gave you for it, I cannot do that as good as what you can do it. And no one else can. This is why the body dynamic, the the body of Christ in the local assembly, this is how it must function. By everyone exercising their gift. Be whatever it may. Dear people, every believer has been gifted for service by God. And nothing gives the believer more courage and a greater protection from being ashamed than knowing that he or she is in the will of God and is operating the gift they have been given in the power of the Holy Spirit. Nothing gives protection from being ashamed like that. And we might say, well, how will that divine gift manifest itself to you personally and to the assembly like the church? How will, that, how will that show itself? It will become evident simply like this. As you fan the gift you have into flame. How? Through, first of all, your willingness to serve wherever and whenever there is opportunity. Otherwise, by our neglect and our indifference and our sloth, Satan will just simply snuff it out. So let us all be diligent, okay? Let us all be diligent to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you. Another way, the reason is activate your divine resources, and we see this in verse 7. This is the second means of being protected from being ashamed of Jesus Christ. It is to purposefully and intentionally use your divine resources. And what we see first here in this verse is that God what God has not given us. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity or fear. And so what Paul does here, he begins with a negative, as he often does in his writings. He begins with a negative, with timidity, before moving to the positive. He's, and it simply tells us that any form of fear uh, and the meaning of timidity or, is exactly that, fear, frightened, Uh, or or reticence, any form of that kind of stuff that we might have in showing our true colours as a a believer in Jesus Christ, Paul is saying, that does not come from God. It doesn't come from God. So when you shy away from giving testimony of your faith when opportunity arises, simply means, well, that fear is not from God. We can't just buff it off and say, well, that's not me, you know, that's the way God wired me. No, no, he didn't. He's given you a new heart. He's made you a new creature in Christ. You see, the Lord 
The Lord was not responsible for those who defected from Paul when he was in prison. And, and, and he says, they all defected him. Only Luke and Onesiphorus stayed with him while he was in prison writing this letter. Everyone else took off in fear and timidity. The Lord wasn't responsible for Peter's denial of Jesus Christ. No way. He's not responsible also for our cowardice and our lack of confidence to stand for the Lord and being shameful of him. He's not responsible for that. The Lord, Lord does not give us this fear of man that makes us ashamed. But listen up now. Because here he, we can see what he does give us. Okay? The Lord gives us what we need to stand firm and to be confident in the Lord in the face of those who may ridicule us, despise us, and, and may even hate you. I know we've got some in our company here who have, who have faced this kind of hostility in their lives just because they became a Christian. They were cut off from their family. They were despised and they were treated like nothing. But the Lord gives us resources. What are those resources? Those resources are power, love and discipline. You see that? You know, I know from experience, shame to say, that whenever I hesitate and am reluctant to stand up for the truth of the gospel, you know why that is? It's because I am sinfully self-focused and interested only in preserving my sinful ego. That's what happens. In other words, it's all about me. And so I turn tail and back off or perhaps don't say anything. And while that is happening, what I'm doing is I'm blatantly pushing away these God-given resources at my disposal and then I become ashamed of the Lord. You see, folks, God has given us his power. That, that, that word power is, you'll know the word is dunamos, is where we get our English word dynamite from. And as dynamite is effective in changing things, you try it sometime, you let it off and you'll see it changes things. That's the idea. This power is effective that God gives us and it changes things in the service of God. So how powerful is it? How dynamic is it? What can this power do in the service of God, for God? You know, this is the same power source that God used to raise Christ from the dead. That's the kind of dynamic power Paul is talking about here. Paul prayed that the Ephesian believers might be aware of this power God had invested in them for his glory. This is what he says in the Ephesians, that your eyes of your heart might be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised them from the dead and seated them at his right hand in heavenly places. Now that's the kind of power that God has invested in you individually and us as a church. It's effective power. It produces stuff. God used it to raise his son from the dead. That's the power that we have for God's glory.
Now, you may not feel that. You say, well, I don't feel very powerful. I, get, I don't get overtaken with whatever. But nevertheless, whether you feel it or not, this is the kind of power that God has given for his people to draw on to accomplish his purposes. Not your purposes, his purposes. It's when our trust and dependence and commitment is totally and fully and 100% in the Lord. It's then that the Lord is able to do what? He is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to what? According to the power that works within us. Ephesians 3.20 Do we believe it? We've got to believe it. The text says it. Do we use it? Do we draw on it? That God has not only given us power, He's also given us love. Did you see that? Love. Now this word love here is agape love, which you will all know, I'm sure. This is a selfless love. It's a sacrificial love. It's a love that goes all out and ministers to the needs of others. It's, it's a kind of love that is patient and is kind and is never jealous and, it, and never brags. It, it's not arrogant. It never rejoices in righteousness. It only rejoices in truth and, and it bears all things, believes all things and hopes and endures all things. You'll know that. That's agape love, 1 Corinthians 13. This love, resources, this love resource was also given when we were saved. you know that? You, must, you might have been the most hateful, spiteful person on earth before you were regenerated. But the moment Jesus Christ came into your life, the moment you committed yourself to him in faith and trust and repentance toward him, the moment you sincerely believed him like Timothy, you were given this love. The ability to love like this. Romans 5.5 5 tells us that the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. This love is very different from other kinds of love, as you'll know. Other kinds of love, they wax and wane, don't they, according to circumstance. It's not that kind of love that, allow, that allows emotion alone to be its driving force. Yes, God has given us emotion and emotion is good and is needful for our whole human psyche and to function as a people of God. But when we allow emotion to drive us and to love, that, that, that's way short of the mark. This is not that kind of love. It's a love that is selfless. It's a love that denies self and willingly gives oneself. It's the kind of love that lays down one's life for his friends. It's a love that is sincere and constant. This is, in other words, as the Scriptures tell us, a believer's love in the Spirit, Holy Spirit. My dear people, I know we fail in allowing this divine resource to dominate our whole thinking, our whole worldview as we should. Too often, love of self dominates us at the expense of this agape love and we fail in loving others as we ought. And in the mix of all that, our love for God also suffers big time. When we live by the Spirit and walk by the Spirit, you know what first comes to the fore in our lives? God-given agape beloved begins to flow. It begins to happen. It begins to flow out from us. And when that happens, 
Folks, when that happens, we have no reason to be ashamed. Then we're also given discipline to draw on. Now, when we see discipline, it may seem rather a strange word to put in here in our English translation as we have it. But it simply means a secure and sound mind. That's what it means. A secure and a sound mind. But it also has the idea couched in it of being in control, being organized, and having this divine ability to prioritize our lives wisely. In other words, we might think, oh, yes, but I know unregenerates who can prioritize their lives and many unsafe people who can organize and sort of thing. But I'll tell you this. As a believer in Jesus Christ, we are over and above that because we have been given the divine wherewithal to organize and to prioritize and to be secure and to be sound in mind far greater than any unregenerate can. You got that? Because we've been given the, this divine resource. The unregenerate hasn't got that. This discipline is a resource whereby we can accept the highs and lows in life. And they all, we all have highs and lows in life, right? For, for many of us, we receive too many lows, etc., etc. But that's not beside the point. This discipline is a resource whereby we can combat that. It's also a resource whereby we can combat becoming pry, proud and, and boastful. It can also combat becoming depressed and downcast. Why? Because we've been given the resource of discipline. Secure and of sound mind. The ability to prioritize our life. I wonder if we draw on this resource as we should. You see folks, when we are given, when we live by this God-given discipline that we have, this may hurt, but I'm not here to hurt you. I want to speak truthfully. When we live by this God-given discipline that God has given us to use for our use in our personal lives, things like procrastination, laziness, lack of direction, lack of purpose, and, and many modern-day mental illnesses, they get kicked out the door. In their place, right priorities for living where believers devote every aspect of their lives to the cause of Christ and, their, and His kingdom. It takes hold. It takes hold. It becomes our all in all. So we have this trilogy of divine resources at our disposal. Power, love and discipline. These are not natural resources. We're not born with them. They are God-given at our salvation. Do we use them? Are we diligently exercising them in our lives for the glory of God? We need to, folks. We need to like never before, and we must, because they will protect us from being ashamed. And then finally... Expect opposition and accept it. We see this in verse 8. Or thirdly, I should say. One of those preachers say, finally, and they have four more points. 
expect opposition and accept it. You know, one of the most effective tools of Satan for undermining the resolve and, and desire of the Christian to be a testimony for Christ is opposition. Opposition of this kind can come in many ways and, and angles and sources. It can come to us in the workplace. It can come to us in home. It can come to us from friends and even from family. And as I said before, some of us in our congregation this morning know what it is to receive opposition from family. It can even range from a violent death like John Huss and like many of the martyrs to the snide remark and the jeering talk of a work colleague. But it's not so much the trial or the persecution we face that matters, folks. It's not that at all. It's how we respond to such. That's what's really important, how we respond to that. Like John Huss, burning in the flame, Lord, never let me be ashamed. James tells us that we're going to get all sorts of trials. It's part and parcel of the Christian life. James says, uh, and he instructs us, he said, Brethren, count it all to joy. When you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. James 1, 3 and verse 4. So it's not a matter of if trials come, it's when they come. It's how we handle them that really matters. And Paul encourages Timothy in our text to do the same. He encourages him not to give up. Therefore, do not be ashamed, he says. Therefore, do not be ashamed. Owing to all these divine resources and the gift that God has given you, therefore, do not be ashamed. Or another way, owing to all the resources you have in Christ, you have no reason at all, Timothy, to defect and turn tail and be ashamed of the gospel. We could put that exactly on each one of us. I well remember when I was a youth, probably about eight or nine years old, indelibly pressed on my mind as I was thinking on preparing this message. Friday evening was a time when our family went into town. We just lived out on the outskirts. Actually, it was in a logging mill camp where my father worked in the logging industry. And we would go into town to do the weekly shopping, etc. And um, in our church, there was a man who, who, who loved to evangelize. And... Uh, for many years, one way that he did this was he would walk up and down the main street of this town in New Zealand wearing a sandwich board front and back citing Bible texts. Mr. Kyle would be bold in the face of many critics. He was often abused and ridiculed which he expected and accepted for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the biggest hurt and disappointment came to Mr. Kyle, and he would share that with my dad and probably my nosy ear listened in. 
when fellow believers purposefully and deliberately crossed the street or ignored him as they walked past because they were obviously ashamed of him and the gospel. My dad was the opposite, by the way. He would go and seek him out and stand with him and here was all us kids and mum and uh, we must have looked like, I don't know what, but there were seven of us all together and so we were standing with him and, and, um, and dad loved to chat him, to encourage him in this gospel ministry. My dear people, Paul here instructs Timothy not to be ashamed of the gospel or of him who preaches it even though he is still in prison. Not to be ashamed of him. He even adds for Timothy instruction that he sees himself not as a prisoner of Rome. You might have noticed this. He doesn't say, oh, I'm a prisoner of, of the emperor here, this mad, possibly mad Nero. I'm a prisoner of Rome. No, he doesn't say that. He sees himself as a prisoner of the Lord. You know that? In other words, Timothy, it's because of the gospel of Jesus Christ I am here in prison, but this is where the sovereign Lord has placed me. Even this present suffering will not deter my devotion and my loyalty and my love for him. Hence, I will never and not be ashamed. And Paul exhorts Timothy to join him. Take a cue from me, Timothy. Be like me. To be of the same mind about trials and persecutions for the sake of the gospel. He was to expect opposition and accept it for the Lord's sake. This is not about difficulties or trials we may have because of dumb mistakes either, by the way. And some of us do. I know I have made many dumb mistakes and sinful decisions. This is not about making sinful decisions. And because of those, we get ourselves into a whole pile of trouble. Now, it's not about that. Those kind of trials, by the way, can come because of the disciplining hand of the Lord, especially if we're unrepentant. And even when we do sin, just because we're repentant doesn't mean to say all the consequences of that sin are going to disappear. No way. Or it could be a way of keeping us humble. Lord, Paul had a trial, remember? He had obviously some physical ailment and he prayed three times, Lord, remove this from me. No doubt thinking, wow, I could be so much more effective in your ministry, Lord, if you remove this physical health issue I have. But the Lord says, my grace will be sufficient for you. It kept Paul humble. And here he is suffering for the gospel in prison. And later on Paul will say to Timothy and 2 Timothy 3.12 Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. In other words, folks, it's not the opposition. That is the main issue. John Huss was burnt at the stake, as countless others have, as we know. And praise the Lord, most likely, we will never suffer in that particular way. But you know what? We are going to feel the heat in some way or other. I guarantee some of you have felt a bit of that heat even in this last week. It's how we respond to that heat that really matters. Paul and the apostles got it right. When they went to Jerusalem, Acts 5.41 says, they went on their way from the presence, that's of the Jewish council, they went on their way rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. They got it right. May we know through all the resources that we have in Christ, 
that we can gladly suffer shame but never be ashamed when opposition hits us as we accept it for the gospel's sake. And this is final. But I'm going to leave this for next time. But I want to close with a story of a true example of of being unashamed of the gospel. I think I might have told this story on other occasions. I've borrowed it. That's always impressed itself upon me. Kevin and Dawn will resonate with this because they have an excellent story of a woman, English woman, who gave herself to the ministry of the gospel in China. And this story is based in China. It was based during the Boxer Rebellion of 1899 to 1900, short-lived but vicious rebellion in China, where these extreme nationalist Chinese instigated a campaign of terror against any foreigners particularly, but more so especially against Christian missionaries and even Chinese Christians. And during this vicious campaign, they surrounded a certain Christian mission station and then they sealed all the exits bar one. Then they placed a cross in the dirt in front of the open exit gate and told the missionaries and the students that were locked up inside that anyone who walked out and trampled the cross, they would be spared. They could go on their way free. According to reports, the first seven students who came out of that door, they walked and they trampled the cross And they went on their way. And then the eighth student, a young girl, approached the cross. You know what she did? She knelt down and she prayed for strength and then walked carefully around the cross and was immediately shot to death. The remaining 92 students, strengthened by that girl's courageous example, also walked around the cross to their deaths. My dear people, we most likely will never be put in such a position. But many fellow saints in other parts of the world, like these students, like the Apostle Paul, like John Huss, they've all walked that path. They willingly paid the price of never being ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They paid it with their lives. They all responded with with total commitment toward the gospel. And that brings great glory to God. And you know what? It also brings great encouragement to the saints. How will you respond this week, next week, next month, this year to your unsaved work colleagues at home, with unsaved family, wherever it might be, how will you respond so that you will never be ashamed? Will you be in such fear of man that you defect and escape the ridicule and be ashamed of the Lord? Is that how it's going to be? I trust not. May we all fan the gift for serving the Lord into flame, keep it glowing, 
May we all live every day using the divine resources that God has given us of power and love and discipline. And may we all expect opposition and accept it as from the Lord and never be ashamed. Shall we pray? Father, we feel so weak and lack the strength to walk for you. But Lord, we know that you have given us all we need to stand firm in the faith. Even if it means persecution and death as others have experienced down through the ages. Lord, give us all we need. We have all we need. Let us draw on what we have so that we'll never be ashamed. May your name be glorified in this. May your kingdom be expanded. May you use us by our stand in Jesus Christ to bring other souls to salvation. Help us with this, we pray. These things we ask in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.